Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Keith back again from Uncontrolled Opposition with, the, uh, with more reading on the book Rulers of Evil by F. Tupper Saucy. And uh, we're going to be continuing here with chapter six of the reading, uh, the title being The Epitome of Christian Values. Again, this is Keith Kampschaefer with UncontrolledOpposition.com. And um, I also have uh, another blog, there's uh, Elijah1757.wordpress.com, as well as a Facebook, uh, Facebook page and group uh, under Uncontrolled Opposition. And also uh, my YouTube channel is uh, under my, my name is Keith Campshaper. And um, so uh, just trying to bring awareness uh, to, the, uh, uh, to, to the community, okay? I mean, uh, to the world, world at large and, and even here on Pal Talk and uh, uh, with some, uh, some of my, what I consider fellow uh, victims, uh, or subjects, I should say, uh, don't uh, don't necessarily like to label ourselves as victims, but um, subjects of um, what do they call that? Involuntary uh, human experimentation. Okay, and I'm talking about the organized stalking. That's not what I I won't necessarily be talking about that, but um, I know maybe some of you might check out uh, my channel here and there, and. Um, I do talk about that from time to time and try to bring awareness of the systematic and organized uh, government-sponsored persecution and silent torture of um, targeted individuals uh, here in uh, in America, in the U.S. and around the world. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and, and turn back to the book here, Rulers of Evil by F. Tupper Saucy. Chapter 6, The Epitome of Christian Values. And since their founding on French soil in 1118, the Knights Templar have grown from a pair of self-impoverished knights hoping to keep Muslim terrorists from molesting pilgrims in the Holy Land to a mammoth organization controlling international finance and politics. The founders, Hugh de Payen and Godfroy de St. Omer, organized a group of excommunicated knight crusaders and secured their absolution by a bishop. After placing the restored knights under oaths of poverty, chastity, secrecy, and obedience, they pledged the organization to rebuilding Solomon's Temple. Given space adjacent to an Islamic mosque situated upon the temple's supposed ruins, they took the corporate name Poor Knights of Christ 
and of the temple of Solomon. Bernard Abbott Clairvaux, the leading propagandist of the day, extolled the Templars as, quote, the epitome and apotheosis of Christian values. Bolstered by such unprecedented promotion, the poor knights attracted the best and the brightest young men of Europe to become crusaders, to vow celibacy, and leave their families in defense of Christ's tomb against Muslim terrorists. The mission failed within nine years. Even so, Bernard's propaganda caused the Templars to be received as conquering heroes when they returned to France. They set up their permanent lodge at Troyes under the patronage of the court of Champagne. For nearly a century, Troyes had been Europe's leading school for the study of the Kabbalah, which may explain why the city is laid out in the shape of a champagne cork. For making the Templars a world power, Bernard shares credit with Cardinal Emeric of Santa Maria Nuova. Emeric was the church's highest judicial officer. It was his unlawful connivance that created Honorius II, or Honorius II, the Pope who ordained the Templars as the church's most highly esteemed religious order. It was Emeric, too, who devised a radical inner renewal of the church, which inspired, which inspired noblemen throughout England, Scotland, Flanders, Spain, and Portugal to shower the Templars with donations of land and money over and above the properties required of all initiates upon joining the order. When, when Honorius died in 1113, Americ led a minority of cardinals and other in another connivance resulting in the election of Innocent II, who was consecrated Pope in America's titular Church of Santa Maria Nuova. In 1139, Innocent issued a bull placing the Templars under an exclusive vow of papal obedience, a measure which a measure by which Emeric effectively put all Templar resources at the disposal of the papacy. Within another decade, the knights were given exclusive rights by Pope Eugenius, Eugenius III to wear the Rose Croix or Rosy Cross on their white tunics. As their list of properties lengthened with donations from Italy, Austria, Germany, Hungary, and the Holy Land, the Templars built hundreds of great stone castles. Wealthy travelers lodged in these castles because of their unmatched security. Convinced they were building a new world, the Templars called each other 
Frere Macon, Brother Mason. Later, this term would be anglicized, anglicized into, quote, Freemason. Just wanted to pause to make sure something, uh, I was a little bit concerned about being in the right chapter, but, um, yeah, I think this is correct. Okay, so moving on. The Templars invented modern banking by applying an oriental invention to their commerce. Agents of the Chinese emperor, Cao Zung, inventor of paper currency called Faixian, flying money, sought trade with the Middle East during the period of Templar occupation. Cao Zung was the first government on earth to enforce circulation of drafts as legal tender for debts. Evidently, Cao Zung's agents introduced the knights to this new new medium of exchange created out of merchants out of merchant drafts. The Templars enhanced their already booming business of one, accepting current accounts, deposit accounts, deposits of jewels, valuables, and title deeds, two, making loans and advances, charging fees because the church forbade interest, and three, acting as agents for the secure transmission of such things by, four, adding circulating letters of credit, flying money, to serve as paper currency. To supply the Templars' currency needs, okay, to supply the Templars' currency needs, may explain why paper in France was first manufactured in the poor knight's hometown of Troyes. By 1300, presiding over the world's economy from their Paris office, the Templars had become an international power unto themselves, engaged in diplomacy at the highest level of state from the Holy Land westward, They set the taste, the goals, the morality, the rules of the civilized world. Kings did their bidding. When Henry III of England threatened to confiscate certain of the order's properties, he was upbraided by the Master Templar in the city of London. What sayest thou, O king, so long as as thou dost exercise justice, thou wilt reign, but if thou infringe it, Thou wilt cease to be a king. But suddenly, at their very zenith, the at their very zenith, the poor knights suffered a strange reversal of fortunes. In 1302, King Philip IV of France dared to challenge their sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty on his own soil. He asserted that in France, everyone, knights Templar included, was subject to the king. Pope Boniface VIII jumped in and declared that France, the king, the Templars, all of them, and everybody else as well, belonged to Pontifus Maximus. It is absolutely necessary for the salvation of every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Philip then accused the Pope of illegitimacy, sexual misconduct, and heresy. Boniface prepared a bull excommunicating Philip, 
but before it could be published, a band of Philip's mercenaries stormed the Vatican and demanded the Pope's resignation. Although the intruders were driven off, the shock to body and soul were too much for Boniface, and he died a month later. Two successors, or two successor popes, held firm against Philip until Bertrand de Gat, Archbishop of Bordeaux, was elected in 1305. Crowned in Lyons with the papal name Clement V, de Gaulle moved the papacy to Avignon and began a long train of successions to Philip's royal prerogative. Finally, on Friday, October 13, 1307, Philip arrested all but 13 of the Templars in France, tried them, and, upon evidence of their practice of the Kabbalah, found them guilty of blasphemy and magic. At least, at least 50 knights were burned at the stake. From captured documents, it was learned that the Templars, from the very beginning, had renounced what Roman theologians called the religion of St. Peter. They had been initiated into secret Gnostic branch of the Eastern Church, known as the Primitive Christian Church. Because the Primitive Christians, Apostolic Secession, because the Primitive Christians, Apostolic Succession, claimed to flow from John the Baptist and the Apostle John, they were called Johannites. The Johannites believed that although Jesus was imbued with a spirit wholly divine and endowed with the most astounding qualities, he was not the true God. Consistent with Gnostic logic, the true Johannite God would never lower himself to become vile human matter. Jesus was, in fact, a false messiah sent by the powers of darkness. He was justly crucified, although when his side was pierced, he did repent of his pretensions and received divine, excuse me, he received divine forgiveness. Thanks to his repentance, Jesus now enjoys everlasting life in the celestial company of the saints. And, of course, this is all uh, very blasphemous, but um, this is what the uh, Johannites, uh, this is actually what they believed. And, of course, this all has its roots in Gnosticism and uh, and the Kabbalah, which is... um, is inspired by Satan, okay? Because this is to this is to destroy the uh, divinity, the divinity of Jesus, of Yeshua. So continuing on, regarding miracles, the Johannites believed that Jesus did or may have done extraordinary or miraculous things, and that since God can do things incomprehensible to human intelligence, all the acts of Christ, as they are described in the Gospel whether acts of human science or whether acts of divine power can be accepted as true except for the resurrection, which is, which is omitted from the Templar's copy of the Gospel of St. John. Therefore, for all his wonderful attributes, attributes, Christ was, quote, this is what they say, for all his wonderful attribute, attributes, 
Christ, quote, was nothing, a false prophet and of no value, close quote. Only the higher God of heaven had power to save mankind. And of course, we know the scripture verse that says that they who deny Christ are actually antichrist. And so that's, that's who these Templars and these Knights of Malta and Rosicrucians and, um, and secret societies, uh, that, that's who they are. They, they actually worship Lucifer. They actually, they're actually Satanists. But the higher God avoided human matter, and so lordship over the material world belonged to Satan. Let me see if I can figure out how to pronounce this. It's uh, S-A-T-A-N. I guess that's pronounced, um, I'll just say Satanael, okay? But uh, obviously it's uh, referring to Satan. But the higher God avoided human matter, and so lordship over the material world belonged to Satanael, the evil brother of Jesus. Okay, okay, that's what it is, right? Okay, they say that, that Satan is actually the brother of Jesus. So... Just forgive me as uh, as I read this uh, rather, um, um, you know, without um, without reservation and pause. But uh, just um, I'm just reading the book. Okay, uh, Satanael alone could enrich mankind. Templar Kabbalah represented Satanael as the head of a goat emblazoned, sometimes contained within a pentagram. Okay, and I know what they're talking about. They're talking about the uh, Baphomet, right? The goat, uh, the goat head, uh, and the um, the upside down pentagram. This symbol is deeply rooted in Old Testament Kabbalah, in which the goat is identified with power in the world and separation from God. On the greatest Israelite feast day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one goat was spared the sacrificial knife, and was sprinkled with the blood of another goat killed for the sins of Israel. The spare goat, the scapegoat, was then banished from the congregation to bear Israel's sin into the wilderness, which typified the world. The scapegoat escaped with his life, his freedom. Okay, but right, yeah, but he was driven into the, uh, into the wilderness. He wasn't slain, but he's driven into the wilderness. Okay, so <laughs> we know where this is going. King Solomon conferred with evil spirits, but Scripture described the spirits only generally. However, the Zohar, or Book of Splendor, one of the main works of ancient Kabbalistic literature, tells us evil spirits appear to the Israelites, quote, under the form of he-goats, and made known to them all that they wished to learn, close quote. The Templars called this goat, the Templars called this goat idol Baphomet, from Baphe and Metis, Greek word. Baphomet encapsulates the career of Solomon, who scripture says was absorbed into the wisdom of God 
more than any other human being, yet finished out his life in communion Okay, sorry about that. Baphomet encapsulates the career of Solomon, who scripture says was absorbed into the wisdom of God more than any other human being, yet finished out his life in communion with he-goatish evil spirits. By the Templar's Johannite standard, communing with the evil spirits was the secret to controlling the world. By the biblical standard, however, Solomon represents the impossibility of human perfectibility. Perfectibility is indeed attainable according to Scripture, but only through the redemptive process shown in the New New Testament, which Rome kept from Templars, which Rome kept the Templars from reading. On March 22, 1312, interesting date there, 322, okay, and we know that the skull and crossbones of the um, the Yale the the uh, the Yale Secret Society skull and crossbones that they have that 322 below that. I don't know if that's uh, related. That wouldn't necessarily be related to that date, but. Uh, I did just happen to catch that. On March 22, 1312, Plymouth V dissolved the Knights Templar with his decree, Vox Clementis, which means war cry. But the dissolution proved a mere formality to further appease Philip. More More importantly, it permitted the Templars in other manifestations to continue enriching the papacy. For Grand Master Jacques de Molay, just prior to his execution in 1313, sent the surviving 13 French Templars to establish four new metropolitan lodges, one at, Stock- one at Stockholm for the north, one at Naples, for the east, one at Paris for the south, and one at Edinburgh for the west. Thus the knights remained the militant arm of the papacy. Except for their wealth, their secrecy, their Gnostic Kabbalism, and their oath of papal obedience were obscurely dispersed under a variety of corporate names. A subtle provision a subtle provision in Vox Clementis transferred most Templar estates to the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem, who took possession after the King Philip after King Philip's death. In Germany and Austria, the Templars became Rosicrucians and Teutonic Knights. The Teutonic Knights grew strong in mains 
birthplace of Gutenberg's press. Six centuries later, as, as the Teutonic Order, the Knights would provide the nucleus of Adolf Hitler's political support in Munich and, and Vienna. In Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Lodge would become the headquarters of Scottish Rite Freemasonry, which Masonic historians call American Freemasonry. Because all five of the signers of the Declaration of Independence are said to have practiced its craft. Oh, okay, that's the reason. Okay. Call America. Yeah, which, let me read that again. The Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Lodge would become the headquarters of the Scottish Rite Freemasonry, which Masonic historians call American Freemasonry, because all but five of the signers of the Declaration of Independence are said to have practiced its craft. In Spain and Portugal, the Templars became the Illuminati, in whom Inigo had taken membership at Manresa, and Knights of Christ. It was under the red pate cross of the Knights of Christ that Columbus had taken possession of what, it, what he called the Las Indias for King Ferdinand V of Spain, grandfather of Inigo's discreet patron, Charles I and V, the Holy Roman Emperor. As early as August of 1523, as I hypothesized in the previous chapter, this vast yet fragmented subterranean empire, Roman Catholicism, uns Roman Catholicism's unseen root system binding together the world, belonged to Inigo de Loyola. So let me read that again because this is a very important statement. As early as August of 1523, as I, as I hypothesized in the previous chapter, the vast yet fragmented subterranean empire, okay, that vast yet fragmented subterranean empire, he says, is Roman Catholicism's unseen root system binding the world together. Okay, he's saying as early as August of 1523, this vast yet fragmented subterranean empire belonged to Inigo de Loyola. His spiritual dynasty, which continues to this day, would use this system to cause God-fearing men who hated the papacy to perform without realizing it exactly how the papacy wanted them to. But what of, Inigo, but what of Inigo's education, his rise in academia, academia, his rise in academia, His rise in academy is the subject of the next chapter.
I need to look up how to pronounce that. It's not. It's spelled A C A D E M E. Okay, that's pronounced Akadine. Okay, I, I did not know that, but that's how you pronounce that is Akadine. Okay, so let me finish that last sentence again. But what of Inigo's education? His rise in Akadine is the subject of the next chapter. Okay, so we're moving on to the next chapter. Okay, this is a, uh, a, a an illustration here at the end of this chapter. And that shows, um, it says, Hawk est digitus D, which is Latin. Pope Paul III declares Loyola's plan for the company of Jesus an act of God. And it says that's from a Jesuit altar. And it shows, I've seen this, um, there's actually a painting of this where uh, Ignatius Loyola is on his knees and he's handing this book, which uh, evidently is the, the plan, the plan for the Jesuits. He's handing that to Pope Paul III. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to uh, chapter 7 and see if we can finish this chapter and uh, and then we'll we'll stop this recording and uh, take a break. This next chapter, chapter seven, is the finger stroke of God. Determined on a priestly life, Inigo de Loyola returned to Barcelona from Jerusalem in the spring of 1524. He spent the next three years in Spain, getting the requis requisite Latin. Since direct contact with the Bible was prohibited by law, he, his reading coursed the humanities. With the esoteric experience of his spiritual exercises, he charmed the wives of important men. He received frequent invitations to dine at elegant tables, but preferred to beg food door to door and distribute the choice pickings to the poor and sick. He lived in an attic and slept on the floorboards, trying desperately to persuade God of his worthiness. He prayed for six hours each day, attended Mass three times a week, confessed every Sunday, and continued whipping himself. He devised secret penances, such as boring holes in his shoes and going barefoot in winter. Sometimes the exercises aroused in his followers, instances of bizarre conduct, swooning, long spells of fainting, and melancholia, rolling around the ground, being gripped with corpse-like rigidity. The Spanish Inquisition investigated him on suspicion of preaching Gnostic Illuminism. When in... When in, when and Yigo insisted that he was not preaching at all, 
but was merely talking about the things of God in a familiar way, the inquisitors released him. In successive phrase, the Inquisition ordered Inigo, one, to get rid of his eccentric clothing and dress like other students, two, to refrain from holding meetings until he had completed four years of study, and three, to refrain from defining what constituted a grave sin. Wearying of the harassment, he decided to seek his four years of education beyond the Inquisition's reach. He set out for the University of Paris with a pack mule carrying his belongings. He arrived at the university on February 2nd, 1528, and, and soon afterward registered in the rundown old college of Montague. John Calvin, who would become Protestantism's great theological system systems designer, was leaving Montague just as Loyola arrived. Erasmus, the college's most famous alumni, alumnus, remembered graduating from Montague. with nothing except an infected body and a vast array of lice. The student body consisted mostly of wayward Paris and boys kept under harsh discipline. Inigo was 37. Paris was expensive, even for students. Much of the funds Inigo had raised in Barcelona had been stolen by one of his disciples. In early 1529, he went into Belgium, where it is believed he received money for people close to the Holy, close to the Holy Roman Emperor. One of, one of these was Juan de Juan de Cular, spelled C-U-E-L-L-A-R. One of these was Juan de Cular, treasurer of the Kingdom of Spain. Another was Luis Vives, personal secretary to the emperor's aunt, Queen Catherine of England, and private tutor to her daughter, Princess Mary, afterward the Bloody Queen. Bloody Mary, obviously. Inigo returned to Paris much better off. He upgraded his lodging, or upgraded, he upgraded his lodgings. In October, he left Montague and enrolled at the College of St. Barb across the street. I don't know if that's Saint. It's S-T-E. That might be sweet. College of... St okay. He pursued a course in arts and philosophy that would last three and a half years. His name appears on the... I'll just call it Saint. I'm not really sure what that means. Well, let's look that up real quick. 
Okay, I guess it is. Well, let's see. It says. Okay, yeah, I guess it is. I guess that is abbreviated. Oh, S A, yeah, S A I N T E is also a spelling for saint. Okay, so um, let's get back. Okay, his name appears on the Saint Barb Registry as Ignatius de Loyola. Some Jesuits or some Jesuit historian, some Jesuit historians have guessed he adopted the name in veneration of Ignatius of Antioch, an early Christian martyr. It was at Saint Barb that that Inigo began earnestly organizing his army, but not before traveling again to Belgium to ask Juan de Suilar and Luis Vives for yet more money. <clears throat> Let's see if I can figure out how to pronounce that. Some of these names, it's just very difficult for me to read. I don't know if it's a hard C or a soft C. Sorry about this. I'm going to... Let's see if I can find out. Okay, Quaya. Quaya. Okay. Okay, Quayar, Quaya, Quayar. So anyway, we're learning. I'm learning. And um Juan de Cuellar. Cuella. Juan de Cuella. Juan de Cuella. Okay. All right. So uh, where were we? Okay. Yeah, it was at St. Barb that Inigo began earnestly organizing his army 
but not before traveling again to Belgium to ask Juan de Cuellar and Louis or Louis Vivet for yet more money. Armed with his command of the Templar secrets and with introductions provided by the Emperor and Vivet, Ignatius crossed to England. This significant voyage is mentioned only once in his autobiography. He admits that he, quote, returned with more alms than he usually did in other years. Perhaps Queen Catherine, the emperor's aunt, introduced him to the Howards and the Petres, known to be among the first families to receive and nourish Jesuits sent to England. Starting with his two St. Barb roommates, Ignatius soon gathered a circle of six close friends ranging in age from teens to early 20s, somewhat like himself. They were adventurous, impressionable, intelligent, and and unpersuaded of the Bible's supreme authority. Their fondest dream was to save the Holy Land from the Muslims by performing heroic Templaresque exploits. One by one, Ignatius gave them the spiritual exercises, and one by one, they became disciples disciples. Within a few years, they were calling themselves, (coughs) excuse me, within a few years, they were calling themselves, Luckham, I just lost my voice. One by one, Ignatius gave them the spiritual exercises, and one by one, they became disciples. Within a few years, they were calling themselves La Compagnia de Jesus, the Company of Jesus. I think I'm going to have to stop here because I'm afraid I'm, uh, I'm actually losing my voice. So um, uh, thank you for listening, and, uh, and I'll continue this uh, as soon as, uh, as I'm able. Again, this is Keith with uncontrolled oppos- uncontrolledopposition.com, and I thank you for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.